I mean, I think ghosting is the saddest thing that's happened to our culture because it, it, you know, it initially started in dating and it spread beyond that. And now. (laughs) I'm the captain now. (laughs) Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you guys doing today? Thank you so much for listening, and I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to episode 115 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do 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 do. Fantastic! It is great to be back here, baby. Are you alive still? You know what? I I think I'm almost alive. I'm like halfway there. I think a little bit. You are completely normal. There is nothing wrong with you. You're just milking it. Milking what? Well, you were definitely down for the count last week, and you know what I found was actually um, hilarious, borderline like attention grabbing. Constantly was I think that I counted that you must have posted on social media like nine times last week that you had COVID. So we were delaying the release of the episode. I don't think you've ever posted that I was sick to say like giving me grace. Actually, you forced me to do the podcast while I've been sick. So I find find it hilarious that the world has to know that Chris had COVID. But when you posted that Chris had COVID, everybody knows that you post on all of our social media and you posted in like third person instead of, instead of saying, I have COVID. It was Chris has COVID. So then everybody was reaching out to you, wishing me well, thinking I had COVID. And it's all because you weren't like, <laughs> wow, you were like, hey, everybody, Chris has COVID. He's COVID positive. Nine times you posted last week. Well, in case Did you get the attention you wanted? Th- Are well, you feeling fulfilled and <laughs> valued, valued and like people love you? Well, thank you. First off, I appreciate your love, by the way. I'm not and- giving love. I'm asking you a question. Are you feeling happy that you were able to create drama and get so many people to, you know, a feel bad for you yes and yes thank you so much i really appreciate this is what i deal with everybody all your love and support and if you haven't figured out what we're talking about yes i had covid last week for the second time two weeks ago for the second time very good thank you for uh, mentioning that you Uh, actually were sicker the second time than you were the first time around you think so i know so I don't remember. The thing was, the first time I had COVID, I don't remember what the symptoms were. Because someone was asking me, like, well, was it, what did you have the first time? I said, well, I thought I had, like, a little a cold. A man cold. A man cold. I don't no, think no. It, let it me, wasn't let a man me, cold. No, it was, like, me, a baby cold. Uh, let, oh, what? Did you just admit that? <laughs> yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go back to December of 2020. Uh, the day after I was discharged from the hospital because I was so sick and taking who care. Pay, who picked you up, by the way? Let me finish. And I was taking care of myself while I had COVID and still managing to feed all of the children. And then while I had them all on distance learning, I laid down on the couch and started to have trouble breathing and had to go by ambulance to the hospital only yep. to come home that night and get one night of rest. And you came in, hey, babe, what are we having for dinner? And then the next day- <laughs> I asked you, was you cooking for dinner? Yeah. When I was in bed from the hospital. Well, you are in bed. I, I yes, in bed from the I hospital. I wouldn't do that. Would I do that? Yes, you did. And then the next day, you woke up feeling sick, and 
you were like miserable, you said, and then you make everybody miserable when you're sick. Everybody around you knows that you're sick. And then I had to wait on you hand and foot the day after I was discharged from the hospital. This is the main difference between when moms get sick versus when dads get sick. Can I get an amen from all the ladies (laughs) listening out there? Moms don't get days off when we get sick. So you're saying dads do? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I did because take a week off. Because as proof, no, not only did you take a week off, you completely laid in bed for four days, which is good. You needed to recover. But four days of me having to make you three meals a day and deliver them upstairs because we were isolating from one another. And you had the nerve to complain about the food. <laughs> I didn't want to. Well, okay. First off. I never complained. I said yes, it was, you did. Didn't I always say it was fantastic no, and great? No. Every single meal. I said it's always no. amazing and thank you so much. No, you didn't. What did I complain about? Oh, like, oh the salt. No, no, no. Every day you came out and you would look at the tray that was on the TV tray that I'd set for you. Outside the go, door. And you'd go, what the F is this? That was what you said to me. Can you believe that? No, I don't Ladies believe Ladies and gentlemen, can you believe that? I'm not asking you, Chris. Can you believe that? I waited on him hand and foot. And he would come out of the door and I would make homemade. One day I made him homemade French toast and sausage and eggs. I even put a little bottle of syrup and a little salt and pepper and made him a fresh cup of coffee. And I delivered it to the door with little, you know, all the little folded napkins and the fork and the knife. While I was working full time, you know, on my little breaks, I was doing this for him. And he goes, what's this? Like he walks out the door and he goes, what's this? Why would I say that, honey? I don't have any idea, Chris. I don't have any freaking idea. But this is what I deal with. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris the monster. (laughs) COVID monster. Chris monster. COVID didn't make you a monster. Maybe the COVID thing, that's what happened. No, you don't need to blame it on that. (laughs) It's decided. Well, everyone's blaming everything on COVID these days. So, Well, that you don't need to blame it on you. You can just, you know, accept blame for yourself. Don't play the victim of COVID. So I am feeling much better. Thanks for asking, by the way. I didn't ask. Nope. <laughs> because you got a lot of rest. And then I was like, every day after those first three or four days, well, after the first three days, you were like hanging out, watching TV, like sitting around. As you do when you're sick. And, yeah. And I was like, so how are you feeling, Chris, compared to yesterday? Are you feeling better or worse? Oh, I think I'm worse. I was like, oh, okay. As you were already showered and, you know, up and out of the bed and talking about taking the Z out for a drive. I was like, oh, so you're feeling hey, worse? Hey, hush, hush on that. No. I keep that down low. No, I mean, it was good for you to get out and get fresh air one day. But um, every day, are you feeling better or worse? I don't really know. I was like, how do you not know whether you feel better or worse? Like, are, are you living in your body? <laughs> Out of body experience. So, needless to say, on a scale of one to grumpy, just you know, put me in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I could, you know. So, what what dwarf would I be if I was one of the, the dopey, <laughs> dopey, <laughs> or grumpy? No, I'm grumpy. Oh yeah, you're you're, you're dopey. <laughs> well, actually, I was sleepy um, for most of the, that uh, COVID uh, stay in the, in the room. That was great, by the way. Sleepy, Think- grumpy, dopey, sneezy. Yeah, it's because it's sleepy, happy, grumpy, dopey, sneezy, bashful, and doc. So you were sleepy. Oh, you're doc, by the way. I am sleepy, and I'm normally happy. So uh, you're sleepy, I'm happy, you're grumpy, 
Wait, sleepy, happy, grumpy, dopey. <laughs> you. I guess. Sneezy. Yes. You were sneezy. Yeah, it's true. And then yeah. nobody's bashful in this house. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's like a free for all running around here, you know, if, if fly or whatever. Yeah, but uh, so I was out for that and it was so great to be back and it's so great to be feeling much better, much healthier, you know, and um, I'm grateful you- that you're feeling better. I'm well, glad that you. it was. I'm glad that it was mild enough. That we didn't have to like get you any breathing treatments or anything like that. But I wish you wouldn't have gotten it. And that all goes to show, ladies and gentlemen, why when you're working, you need to wear your mask. Because somebody over here wasn't always consistent with his mask wearing at the office. What? Looking at me? Yes. And the risk factors are not good for me. So you need to protect me at all costs. Maybe I'm always protecting you, baby. No, you're not. Always. Nope. Always. I'm like, I'm like I'm like your knight in shining armor. Knight you know? in shiny COVID. <laughs> German you know, I don't even know what COVID brand I had. Was it the uh, De- Deltacom or Almacron or Namacon? Nom- so Megatron. Megatron. <laughs> the Megatron. You got the COVID Megatron. <laughs> Megatron version. Um, well, how are, are you feeling like you're recovered now? I think so. I do feel, feel great, you know. Um, Today was a football Sunday, and I took Jacob and Mason to the park, and we threw the football around, so we were doing that. That was fun. I felt great doing that. You so. didn't get, like, winded or anything? A little bit, cause, just because I'm older, and, I'm, you, know, you know, my arms start to hurt a little bit from throwing the ball around. Okay, that has nothing to do with COVID. That has everything what? to do Are you with sure? being out of shape. Th- that could be it. Yep. It, it could is. Be it. So I know that uh, right now Christine um, is doing amazing wonders with her little side side gig. But what does that have to do with COVID? Um, nothing. Because well, actually, I tell you, what, actually, it does have to do with COVID. Because of COVID of 2020, a lot of weddings were pushed up to 2021, and those got booked up. And a lot of those weddings got booked up into 2022. What year are we in right now? 2022. So Christine Smith Designs is killing it right now with all of her business. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. You want to elaborate more on that? It's going good. Yeah? Yes. How good? Um, well, we just, I don't know. I mean, we're fully booked all the way through 2022. Have a bunch of weddings booked for 2023. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I talk about it all the time. I don't know what else you would like for me to say. Well, you know what? I think that maybe I should help you out with that, babe. Nope. Why not? Well, because out of the seven dwarfs, you fit the profile for four of the not so nice ones. <laughs> well, you know what? There should be another elf, another elf, another dwarf on there. Elf, <laughs> <laughs> another elf on there that actually is called the um, helper boy elf. No, I don't want the helper boy elf. I mean, I'm okay with you helping out sometimes, but. Here's the thing. When you go into the wedding industry, you have to be able to like roll with the punches. You have to be able to handle the stress, kind of think on your toes. You cannot, under any circumstances, lose your cool. You can't show the bride that you're stressed. What? You have to just like keep it under wraps. I would never do that. No, no. Yeah, exactly. You would never do that. You would never keep it under wraps. You would (laughs) never not lose your cool. What are you talking about? So you're saying that we like, oh my gosh, it's a total disaster. Well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Let's just tell everybody what happened today. So we're going to. Today? Yes. We're going to tell you what happened today. Today's Sunday. Today is Sunday. This morning, I was getting into the car. And I was getting ready to leave the house. Chris knew that I had to go to Pasadena to meet with some of my clients. Which is kind of far from here, by the way. 
but I had to go to Pasadena to meet with some of my clients. I'd already said goodbye. He insisted. Chris is on his kick of he wants to be a part of the Christine Smith Designs team because he thinks like it's going to help him retire early from the truck driving industry. That's right. Absolutely. So he walks me out to my car. You walk me out to my car, kiss me goodbye because you could finally kiss me again because no more COVID. And then I get in my car and I pull out of the driveway. I just I only had pulled out of the driveway and turned my car around and my phone rings. And I hear, I heard this loud bang and this rumble in the house. And I don't know. I'm like running around. Something's wrong. And I think maybe it's like the water heater. And it was like the whole house was like rumbling. And it was like things were like shaking. And it felt like an earthquake. And I said, Chris, we live in Southern California. Maybe it was an earthquake, honey. Why don't you get onto the web, onto the internet? And see if there's a website, like or, or a web report of of an earthquake. Well, I don't know. It's like, do you think there's a gas leak? Do you think like the house is gonna like burn down or something? And I said maybe it was just like Jacob playing with his little basketball hoop in his bedroom. It did feel like that. And and then you kept saying, I don't know. The whole house was like rumbling and it felt like it was gonna fall down. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, we do live in Southern California. Earthquakes are a thing. We haven't had one for a while. Just check out online. Are you safe? Is everything in the house safe? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if everything's safe. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so then 30 minutes later, I get a text message as I'm driving of an image. And I text you back, Chris, I can't look at images while I'm driving. You call, oh, I just want to let you know it's an earthquake. Okay. (laughs) Yes, it was. That exact reaction is why you can't be my number one assistant at a wedding. Why? Because you would be like... You'd be like, the bride can't find her shoe. And now she can't, like, she can't walk without her shoe. She can't walk down the aisle, Christine. What? And and the groom doesn't know how to tie a tie. And I don't know how to tie a tie. And does anybody, can anybody give me a doctor? They would have to know how to tie a tie. Can, 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 yeah. Well, is it okay? Do you want to back out? Do you want to back out? It's okay. It's not too late, dude. It's not too late. This is <laughs> what, what Chris I would say. Yeah, no, I'd be like, I'd be like the entertainment for the show, the pre-show entertainment. I don't need entertainment. This yeah, is, we yeah, have to I'm, be behind the scenes. I'm behind the scenes, I'd be like the entertainment for the bride and groom. Be like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Hey, never too late. You want to you know, kick, kick out of here? Or the bride? Or the bride? Hey, you would get I, me fired. I just funsies, you know. No, we don't joke like that. I at would weddings. be, I would be like all like funsy, happy no. go lucky kind of guy. No, I'd be like hey, how you doing, guys? You would make the wrong jokes. You would say, "Hey, so you're ready uh, to have the old ball and chain?" And you right next to the the bride, she'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Or it's all right, dude. I've got a car waiting for you. Like you would make those jokes. I would get fired. So fired. Oh, honey, you know I bring the fun. You know, you know it's funny. It's funny you say that. It's every single couple that we've met. For the weddings that you go to, what do they always want me to do? Every single one of them. They want you to be a guest. That's right. But they never ask you to be their wedding planner. Well. Because everybody wants the class clown to be a guest at their party because they are the fun of the party. I'll give a toast and everything. Yes, you will. (laughs) And it'll be all about about yourself. You'll be like, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for having me here today. So glad to be here. I know I'm looking fabulous in this suit. (laughs) That's right. All right, ladies. I put on myself. You're like, all right, ladies, I'll take my wedding ring off for you. Mm -hmm. All the single ladies, I'll be standing there behind you with the bouquet toss. Oh, well, okay. Now they took it to another another dimension. Well, this is crazy. But But they do it. Ask, actually ask me to come to all of the events you know all of them do yes why, do. why would they do that because you are a very friendly person you make friends with everyone well i try well you you make friends with all of my couples 
But the question is, do you make friends with me? <laughs> well, I do make friends <laughs> with you. We're more like frenemies today. Well, only because you're gone. I missed you all day today, babe. Frenemies is like friendly enemies. That's like we're warring. We're in a war of the roses tonight. Yeah, a war of the hearts. A really. war of the hearts. Oh, no, it's just a lot, a lot going on right now. I mean, it's been, I mean, if we think about it, we've talked about before this podcast kind of being like our therapy session. There's been a, a lot on my plate because when you were sick, I had to like take on everything else and it's been very stressful and you're finally rebounding. And it's funny because now that you feel better, you're like, babe, I want to help you with everything. Well, and it's I do. just like I do, I too do. much. And you're like every five minutes, like perching right next to my desk when I'm in the middle of like creating a proposal for a wedding and like deep in thought. And you're like, babe, can I do anything for you? I was like, oh, you just ruined my concentration. What wife would not love a husband that was there to support them every minute of the day? No. See, I need, I, you're a little clingy lately. I love you, but you're a little clingy. Can I get one of those dividers that wraps around me so you physically can't see me? Like one of those like huh. accordion dividers so I could like stick it on um, the side and around me? Um, No, but that sounds like a good idea. I like it, maybe. I think I'm going to get one because it'll create like a faux closet. Like your own little cubicle for the office inside the house here. Well, because I don't have an office. I have the landing and you have decided to make that landing because it has like a shelf, like a little half wall there that's yeah. perfect for you to perch on. Yes. And so you like stare at me right next to it. And I see like, my uh, peripheral vision and you're like, look at me, mom. Yes. Or I could be like the uh, the, the first oh, was it uh, Office Space movie where, they, where the boss would come over and he'd perch over the thing. Hey, what's happening? Oh Wait. my gosh. You literally say what's happening. Oh my gosh, you're him. Go. Except the office yeah, space is in our house. We're going to need you to come in on Saturday and Sunday too. Is Office Space <laughs> the one with the Jennifer Aniston? Uh, yeah. That's yes. not where she's a waitress, is yes. it? Yes. Once she plays, it's like not Fridays, but it's like uh, a knockoff version yeah, or something. Where like she that. needs more uh, flair. Needs, needs more flair. <laughs> more flair. Well, honey, you have enough flair. We have enough pieces of flair oh, yeah? on you. Oh, we yeah. Need, we need you to calm down the flair. Okay, I'll try. Yeah, I take the flair down a notch. Oh, thank you so much, baby. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, by the way, you know, today, as I didn't tell you, on Instagram today, McGregor's, the bar that actually the place we met at, posted that, uh, you know, they posted something and I commented saying, oh, my I goodness, know. we were right there. That's exactly where we met at on our very first date. And now we're married. I know, now we're and mar- we're podcasters. Check that. Shamelessly plugging ourselves. Oh, well, you got to gotta get it where you can. You know what I'm saying, baby? But when we were talking about McGregor's, since that is where we met, uh, one of the things that made me laugh is you said you'd had like met other girls there before, huh? What was that yeah. like your spot? Uh, it might have been. You know, I knew what I think it was is that it's very centrally located in San Diego, so most people can kind of get to it fairly easily. You know, like it's center. You know, it's- but they didn't like do norm when you walked in. No, because I I hadn't been there in a while because I was kind of like my down on my luck. So I was down on your luck, w- waiting for the right woman to take oh. me, to me over to McGregor's, and there was I didn't find anybody, so I was like. Oh man, like you are really. And I was like, was man. like your go to thing to take somebody for drinks, or did you like do restaurants or anything like that? Because that seems like a pretty small investment to actually well, try find, and wine and dine a girl. You can eat there too. You can eat there. I it, know, but you're taking a girl to a pub. Well, the cool thing about McGregor's, shout out by the way, is that you can eat food there. Did you like say you could do early, early dinner there, hang out, like say a Friday night or something? And then you do that there, and then you're like, hey, 
Check this place out. This place has got a full-on bar and music. Oh, look, there's a pool table over there. Hey, like to play pool? Or, hey, there's this, this game over There's some other game they have over there. Or there's like a kind of bar area. But is that like a, a female-centric kind of place? Because it seems kind of masculine to take a girl to a pub. I don't know. I don't think so. I, I don't judge, you know? Well, I like, where did you learn? I, I've always wondered this. Like, when guys are growing up, I don't know if that's the right term, but when, when yeah, young no, men... Yeah, elementary school, I teach you this. No, when like young men are like going into dating... How do they even learn about like what the right way is to court a young woman? I don't think that one really even teaches you. Basically, when you're younger, you just go to where the chicks are. So you know, don't the- call us chicks. Okay, sorry. The lovely ladies are. So yeah. what places were those? That would be the bars, the pubs, and nightclubs. Well, those are the ladies that you were interested in. But there's ladies at libraries and bookstop bookshops. And I just and- found it at the grocery store too. My goodness. What are, What are you picking up on girls at the grocery store? I'm not picking up on anybody. I'm just being observant. <laughs> <laughs> so you would go to the places that ladies were gathering, and that's how you would start staging your dates. Then you figured. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how this makes sense. So it's like, I'm going to go to where the ladies are, but then for our first date, I'm going to take them back to where I went as a desperate man. Uh, maybe. <laughs> it's like, it looked like I caught one. <laughs> <laughs> I did go with you. That was honestly my first time having a first date in a pub. Really? Yep. I'd never, I'd never done that before. And so... What would your first dates be? Like Starbucks? Well, yeah. Coffee... Um, mostly I did coffee dates, uh, but I didn't do a lot of first dates because remember, like when I got my first marriage, that was my first boyfriend I'd ever had. I was 20. No, I was I was 19 when we met and started Oh, 18 when we met 19 when we started dating and then uh, 22 and a half, 23 when we got married. God, that was fast. What? That's that, like almost four years. Is it? Yes. Three and a half, four years, 19 to 23 and a half. Oh yeah, okay. but it wasn't it wasn't fast. But then after that, after we split up, um, guys would take me like to dinner. We'd like sit down and have a long conversation and a glass of wine or something. I was always careful not to drink too much. And so, like when you and I went out on our first date, it was kind of like a fish out of water. But I will say, like I was I had a hard time learning how to like navigate first dates. I felt so awkward. Well, you know what? I'm here to help you, baby doll. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I'm kind of not having to be in that world. Well, I'm very glad that I'm not having to be in that world anymore. Not kind of glad because dating is for the birds. It's just it's hard work. And I have so many friends, like successful young women, successful middle-aged women that are like out there trying to find the right guy and the world of online dating is just a little bit rough. And uh, today's guest is going to talk to us a little bit about that. Right, Chris? Absolutely. We have a fantastic VIP guest coming up next who actually is a not a dating coach, but a dating a matchmaker. Yes, she is. She'll match you up with your perfect match. And we're going to be back with her right after this. Hey, thank you so much for being a loyal listener of The Chris and Christine Show. And as that you are a loyal listener, we have a very fun opportunity for you to get involved with the show. Ooh, tell me more. If you like to get exclusive content you can't get anywhere else and to receive free merchandise shipped to you every single month. Ooh, I love that. Then head over to patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show. That is patreon.com slash the Chris and Christine show. 
Welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. She is a love scout, a travel enthusiast, and a digital nomad. Welcome to the show, Isabella Beham. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for showing up here. It's, it's uh, Isabella, not Isabel. I mean, I feel like that extra syllable is a lot to ask of people, so I'm I'm pretty neutral about it. Well, we will call you Isabella. I love that name. If I was to have had a daughter, I would that would be like a top contender for a name. I really? think it's beautiful. Yes, I think it's a beautiful name. It is a beautiful name. It's like the name of royalty. Is it really? Is that where you come from, <laughs> uh, Isabella? Are you royalty? Um. Not to my knowledge. (laughs) Well, we really appreciate you joining us on the show today. I've really been looking forward to this interview because you have so much great knowledge that our listeners are going to benefit from. And uh, I have some fun questions to ask you when we get into it. But first of all, where are you joining us from in the world? Yeah, so I'm originally from Florida, but I am in Mexico City right now. And I've been in Mexico since... August 2020. So was this like a spring break? They just kind of like stayed there from Florida? (laughs) Just kind of moved over spring break? I'm just going to hang out a little longer than normal? No, I was like, I'm not sufficiently dehydrated in Florida. So let me go somewhere much hotter. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, you know, I'm self-employed. So there are tax benefits to not living in the U.S. So, um, and, you know, being self-employed, there's health insurance costs, et cetera, et cetera. So it just made financial sense to move to Mexico. Um, I started in Playa del Carmen, which is a very digital nomad hotspot. I mean, for a lot of reasons, great internet, huge nomad community. It feels a lot like going back to college when you live there because it's kind of like the size of a major university. Everyone vaguely knows each other that's in the digital nomad community. A little bit too much of a party scene for my taste. Um, but oh. I ended up staying. Yeah, I don't drink personally. So I stayed for a year. It's an amazing place. I mean, living on the Caribbean is unreal. <laughs> um, but I ended up moving to Mexico City just for something a little more stable, better weather, better food, that kind of thing. Now, Isabella, I've heard the term digital nomad before, like I see influencers use it and things like that. But for our listeners, can you describe what the life of a digital nomad really is? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, on Instagram, it's pretty glamorous, right? But in in real life, it can be pretty gnarly. Like you are, you know, theoretically, I think like the stereotypical digital nomad is in a different place every month which for me is just way too intense, Um, especially running a business. It's just too much for me. Um, So I just kind of, you know, for me, I like to have a home base, which right now is Mexico City. And then I travel from there about once a month. I was in Brazil in November and October. I was in Florida last month, um, beach coming up soon. So that's just for me. I like to keep it a little bit more stable. But, you know, digital nomads are a variety of different jobs. Some people who have their own businesses, some people who are teaching English. Basically, they're just remote workers who can move around on a regular basis and travel is a passion for them. So where in Florida were you originally from? What part? I'm from Orlando. Oh, like right in the middle there, huh? Yeah. Uh, What would you like better, Disney World or Universal (laughs) Studios? Well, I don't like roller coasters. I feel like as an adult, if I want to feel my stomach drop, I can just look at my credit card statement. (laughs) Um, As like as a you know like a kid and a teenager, I liked Universal better. I do kind of appreciate the magic of Disney now, but I think I would pick Universal just because Wizarding World is so freaking cool. 
Which um, what's it called? Wizarding World. It's the Harry Potter. Yeah, it's right? the Harry Potter. It's one thousand percent worth it. It's so cool. Even as an adult, I love going. Um, as a child, I did go to Disney and Universal once a week. We had season passes once a week. That's amazing. Yeah. I've never been in my entire life to Orlando, and that's like a dream. So for people that are like West Coasters or Midwesters that live a ways away, hearing that some people can go once a week is like. I mean, that's like even better than being in the Anaheim area and going to Disneyland because I've, mm-hmm. I've heard that the Orlando setup is like next level extravagant, yeah. like multi-day. Yeah, you need like five days. Um, I mean, we, we literally went every week. We went to the beach every week and we went to Disney every week. And we went canoeing at least every at least. You guys had it rough growing up. My goodness. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it yeah. definitely sets the stage for a digital nomad. Uh, how long have you – I know you just moved to Mexico City, but were you a digital nomad before 2020 and before COVID? Yeah. So I actually went to graduate school in Budapest and um, I got a job offer to move to New York after I finished graduate school. And I crunched the numbers of what it would cost me to live in New York versus – uh, living in Eastern Europe. And it, it just made no sense to me financially to do that to myself. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the idea was born. This was in 2016, like right as digital nomading was becoming more of a mainstream idea. But for me, it really was just a logical financial decision that happened to be in a really glamorous, gorgeous place where I could travel. So when it comes to traveling and, and being a digital nomad and living in different countries, what currency are you using? I get paid in dollars, which is definitely a gold standard, at least for the countries where I travel, because it's much stronger than you know the Mexican peso or the Hungarian forint. One of the reasons that I chose to live in Hungary is because it's not on the euro. So I think 306 of theirs equals one of our US dollars. Wow. Try to figure that every day. Trying to break, change, <laughs> break, break a dollar for that. Huh? Yeah. But then if you would think of that, like 306 to one, if you were to mm-hmm. go and just get like a gallon of milk in their area, like how much would that cost? Because, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, it's 20,000 of what is right. the, what's the denomination? Warrant. Okay. So like what would milk cost? Well, I'm a vegan, so oh. I have absolutely no idea. Okay. Uh, how about a bottle of water? <laughs> um, a few cents, maybe 25 cents. I don't know around that. Wow. That's so great. Yeah. No, Christine and I went to Mexico recently down south and uh, tried to figure out the exchange rate and all that <laughs> stuff. And they're trying to, you know, some places will will do the exchange rate at a different rate. What did they say? It was 20 to 1 in one place yeah. and like 16 yeah. to 1 to another place. And, and then it's like, and like I think at the airport, they really rip you off because they yeah. were telling me it was like for these Ray-Bans, they were saying it was like, I don't know how many pesos. That sounds like right. a good, good deal. Then they converted them to dollars. It was like the same price if I bought them here in the States. Mm-hmm. And then for us, we don't carry a lot of like small bills. So we would like get a taxi ride and only have a 20. And then you go to pay for your taxi ride with a 20 and you just tell them, keep the change. And it's like mind blowing. <laughs> so, right. Or they pretend they don't have change. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what you got to do. Right. If you're in a tipping industry, you pretend you have change, you know. Yeah. But- yeah. So the hack with the currency thing is you get the Charles Schwab debit card which allows you to take out cash anywhere in the world without ATM fees. They refund your ATM fees at the end of every month. And then you always, anytime you're paying for something anywhere, you always decline the conversion and let your bank do the conversion instead. Really? So, but, but, the, but the actual bank, the money in the bank is in dollars though, right? Yeah. So the bank will, instead of 
you know, trusting whatever restaurant you're at or the ATM that you're taking money out from to do the conversion. And like you said, they'll give you a terrible conversion, like 16 to one, you just click decline and, or you, or sometimes it'll ask if you want to pay in dollars or pesos and you just click dollars and then that will revert back to your bank and your bank will give you a much more fair conversion rate. You know, I've heard of horror (laughs) stories where it's gone the other way, you know, where they actually charge (laughs) $20,000 or whatever. Is that, has that true thing? Does that really happen? So in Mexico, it's confusing because their symbol for the peso is the same as the U.S. dollar. So you have to be really careful because there are some scammers who will, you'll think, oh, this is, you know, 2,000 pesos, but really they're going to charge you $2,000. Oh, wow. Gosh. That's crazy. It sounds like you've done a lot of learning through this process of being a digital nomad. Now, my question comes to like living condition. So when I think of a digital nomad, I have really no context. So I come up with all different kinds of ideas. Like, is this hostel living or is it like subletting a room in somebody's house? What's the typical approach? Yeah. So if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of high maintenance. So that's not (laughs) my approach at all. It never has been even when I was a poor digital nomad. Um, Hostel life just is not for me. (laughs) I'm like so introverted and empathic and sensitive to people's energies. I, I can't imagine being in a room with 12 strangers who all like have different cultural interpretations of good hygiene. Um, so don't go to so jail, you're saying, right? No, no. To me, a hostel is kind of like a jail. Like I, I just <laughs> cannot do that. Um, a lot of digital nomads do love that lifestyle though. Even though they can afford to maybe stay at a nice Airbnb, they'd rather be in a hostel around tons of people. I think it comes down to the extrovert or introvert thing. For me, that sounds like a nightmare for someone to hear what my lifestyle is like, which is, you know, like I work a lot. I'm in my, I have my own apartment. I don't have roommates. That sounds like a nightmare to them. Um, so for me, you know, I like to keep it a little more high end. I think that's the benefit of being a digital nomad that you can choose destinations where your money goes much farther. I tend to stay at nice hotels. I have cats. Um, they sometimes travel with me. So I stay at resorts that are usually pet friendly and I'm not opposed to the all-inclusive resort. I think it's nice every once in a while. A lot of people frown at it, but I'm like, you know what? I want to relax. I work hard. Well, Isabella, you are my kind of digital nomad, so much so that maybe I need to come and do like a nomad retreat with you to learn how to live like a digital nomad because I'm all about the all-inclusives and you know being able to travel to different countries. I think we'd be good buddies. Yeah. And you know, thinking about living out of a suitcase as well... It's also changed how I spend my money on clothing because I would rather have 12 really high-end items that I know are going to last a long time than have a suitcase full of like, you know, trash clothing from H&M or Forever 21. Oh, totally. My favorite places. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) No, I totally get that. It's one thing like that you say that during COVID, I've had to do like a whole reevaluation of my wardrobe too because it's like... So looking at comfort as well as being sufficient for working from home mm-hmm. or you know transitioning to daily life, I notice I go through way less clothes that I have. Chris laughs at me because he does like three or four loads of laundry every week. And it's like, no, I have a few classic outfits. Yes. I'll rotate a top. But like I have a, a basic uniform that I do. It's like mm-hmm. slacks, the same set of – I have like five sets of really nice – White House black market black slacks. And then I have like some active wear that I wear, but it's definitely simplified my life so much so that 
I think I could live out of a suitcase. Chris, you, you want to get rid of me for a few weeks and let me be a digital no- digital nomad? Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> well, we love learning all about that, but um, we've spent enough of our time picking your brain about that. I am very much interested in learning about what you do for a living as a love scout. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny when I was living in Budapest, I just wanted a remote job. That was the goal. Um, And I was working as a freelance writer. I had a freelance writing business, but that is a really difficult industry, to be honest, um, to try to be a digital nomad while freelance writing because it's so chaotic, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, never knowing what your income is going to be at the end of the month. So I ended up seeing a job posting at 3am for a matchmaking company. And I thought that was hilarious. So I applied as a joke. I honestly wasn't even sure if it was real. And they got back to me four hours later at 7 a.m. Wow. And they hired me six days later. And that okay. was, yeah. So <laughs> that what, was how it started. Now, where were they located at? You said 3 a.m. for your time. But where were they yeah. located at? The Bay Area. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, for our listeners, again, because we are trying to demystify some of these things. When mm-hmm. people hear matchmakers, it... I think can bring a whole lot of different ideas of what that is all the way from like the matchmakers from Fiddler on the Roof to the advertisements yeah. that you see in the back of the magazines in the mm-hmm. airplanes two to bathroom stalls on the written on the wall. Right. And so what type of matchmakers do you work with? Yeah, so I mean there's a huge variety. It's a huge 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 industry and it's grown almost 25% since the pandemic, which is huge. So it's kind of hard for me to get an outside, like, you know, look at it from the outside because I've been so immersed for so long. But are there yentas like Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah. I mean, it's they're not arranging marriages. Well, that's not true. Actually, some of them are. Right. right. Um, so, yes, there are yentas. Are there people like Patty Stinger who are more high-end, you know, charging $100,000 to work with them? So many. You're right. Um, and then there's, you know, there's various different levels of high end. I tend to work with more high end matchmakers. You know, their clients typically are pretty committed. They're paying tens of thousands of dollars for this process. But there are kind of like mid level or lower range matchmaking agencies, mm-hmm. um, which are charging more like $1,200 a package. But I do think that you get what you pay for. So, Isabella, I got to ask you so, are speaking of matchmaking, are any of the online matchmaking website companies, are any of those any good? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't call out people (laughs) for obvious reasons. A lot of them are not. You know, you have to do your due diligence. Um, A lot of quote unquote boutique matchmaking agencies are not good. There's a lot of ethical gray area in this industry. It's not a regulated industry. You don't need to be licensed to be a matchmaker, which is great because anyone can jump into the industry if they have a passion for it. But on the other hand, uh, that means that a lot of bad behavior can go unresolved. So yes, you need to talk to people. You know, I would say if you're going to work with matchmakers, say, hey, do you have former clients that I can talk to? And if they say no, I would think that would be, you know, at least a yellow flag, if not a red flag. That definitely makes sense. Now, Isabella, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm catching Chris off guard. I've saved this story. He doesn't even know this. Oh, hot break. Hot take here. to talk about it with you. So a little secret about my past is right before I met Chris, like a month before, I actually had a consultation with a matchmaking company mm-hmm. that I was thinking of contracting with because... 
I was so overwhelmed with the dating scene and as a busy professional trying to attract the right kind of person that had the right types of priorities, I wasn't finding it on like a digital platform. You know, Chris's and my story is we ended up, and we talk about this a lot, we did meet on Match.com. It ended up working out for me. Yeah, shout out to Match.com. <laughs> uh, you get 100% off your first date by mentioning Chris and Christine. <laughs> You're so funny. That's not true at all. But what I was struggling with when I was talking with this one specific company, which mm-hmm. I'm not going to name, but it is um, nationwide, mm. is asking them about how they build their database. and. Yeah. The one thing that they said is, well, you know, we rely on people to come to us. And I mm-hmm. I felt like that wasn't enough for me because I felt like they were only going to be bringing people in that were seeking them out versus like yeah. being able to attract other people that might not even consider matchmaking. And so mm-hmm. where do where do you come in in that equation? Right. This is a great segue. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm not surprised that you met a month after consulting a matchmaker, because I think when you consult a matchmaker, when you work with a matchmaker, it's kind of your way of telling the universe like, hey, I'm really serious. I'm willing to put the time and money into finding this person. And the universe will respond to that energy, in my opinion. I agree. Where So we'll have to talk after because I think we're probably going to be talking about the same matchmaking agency. But at the time, I was working for a nationwide matchmaking agency. And they kind of had a recruitment team, but not really. It was totally insufficient. You know, they had, I want to say about 200 matchmakers and like three or four recruiters. Mm -hmm. So it was totally insufficient. And each matchmaker could have up to 60 clients at a time. So I had around 50 some clients, I think 54. And I was expected to find matches for every single one of those clients every month. So you can imagine how difficult it is to manage 54 people's dating lives and find a different great match for them every month. And the issue I kept running into was that there just weren't enough people in the database. Right. They were, you know, they like to talk about their database, but the reality was it, it wasn't what they claimed it was. And if you get assigned a client in Toledo, Ohio, that's different than getting assigned a client in New York City. So I I just became passionate about recruitment. I was really, really good at it. Just, you know, I, I never expected to be a matchmaker. There aren't degrees in matchmaking studies or anything like that, but it turned out I was good at it and good at recruitment. So I was drained. I was burned out. I was in a startup environment and I just was like, you know what? I'm the biggest issue with this industry is that we don't have enough recruitment efforts, which mm-hmm. Is counterintuitive because if you're a matchmaker and you don't have matches, then you don't have a business. Um, So I I just took that approach and I I started my own business. I contracted for a really amazing boutique matchmaking agency at first doing their recruitment. I started their whole recruitment team. Um, I'm still with them. They're amazing, amazing to work with. And then I have some other clients, other matchmakers as well that I work with. And then I have my own database that I build that people can join. And then anytime someone joins my database, I take a little look at the matchmakers that I work with to see if any of them would be able to get them into their database or might have a match for them. And I'm extremely selective with the matchmakers that I work with because as I mentioned, you know, this is an industry with a lot of ethical gray area. And I take my database very seriously and I'm not going to put people in touch with a matchmaker that I don't trust. Yeah, that's really helpful because I know like for me, I started getting hounded by this specific company and, you know, I did have the money set aside for it, but 
you know, it just felt like it was more about like large scale production. And mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking about something like matchmaking, it's changing people's lives and bringing in an individual that, you know, is going to be potentially a mate for them in the future, right. or at least, you know, a relationship of some kind. And so that leads me to wonder about like the actual process of matching people. And I don't want you to give away all of your trade secrets, mm-hmm. but uh it seems like you would have to be able to read people well to know whether or not they're lying to you or like trying to pretend to be something that they're not. How do you weed through that? Yeah. So this is the reason that I love the matchmaking industry, because if you have good intuition and you're a hard worker and you're good with people, it doesn't matter if you even graduated college. You know, Most matchmaking agencies don't have any kind of degree requirements because it's such a personality-based job. So you can have graduated from high school, got your GED, but you happen to be a people person and get into the matchmaking industry and make six figures. So that's something that, you know, I'm really passionate about bringing people into the matchmaking industry as a career. But as far as, you know, figuring out if people are honest or not, you know, it's intuition, it's social media, um, background checks. I, I strongly prefer working with matchmaking agencies that do background checks And yeah, it's just, it's really just doing your due diligence. Of course, you know, we're not fairy godmothers. We can't (laughs) guarantee that every match is going to be great or that every person is going to be exactly who they presented themselves to be. Right. A lot of times because people don't know themselves well enough to present themselves accurately. So that's another hurdle in the industry. And then, you know, when it comes to making matches, there's always a balance between what our clients tell us they want and what we know will actually be good for them. And we have to meet somewhere in the middle there when we find matches. Isabella, what is the starting process? Say somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I'm lonely. Um, Help me out. What do you, what do you, what's the first step? Yeah. So, you know, getting to know them, getting to know what their goals are, you know, are they, are they willing to commit to it? Some of them aren't and that's fine. You know, maybe they're not totally ready to commit financially in the time, you know, the matchmaking companies that I work, work with, like I said, are a little higher end. So they provide coaching, styling, makeup, hair sometimes. Um, so it's really like committing to a full process and not everyone is there yet. And that's totally fine. They can be invited to join our database and maybe we happen to have a client who's good for them at some point in the future. Do you um, get, uh, sorry, do you ever get clients that are like so far apart distance wise? I mean, do you, I mean, do you try to match somebody that's like thousands of miles apart or do you say it's no. too, it's too far. It's not do that. Yeah. I mean, most people are not open to that. It's changed a little bit with the pandemic that pe- because people are mostly working from home now that, you know, maybe they are willing to date someone who lives in a different suburb than them, or maybe they live in LA and they're open to dating someone in San Diego. That's not a big deal anymore. Well, that's kind of um, close. I'm talking like yeah. I'm talking like where you no. live to here. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm we we I have never made a match like that. The only case in which people do that is like for very specific kind of matchmaking. So like Nigerian matchmakers or Indian matchmakers, just because you know if you're looking for someone who comes from a very specific part of India, you're probably not going to find that in your immediate area, and you will have to travel for that. Oh, okay. Generally speaking, we don't do that though. That makes sense. And I have watched that show. I don't remember if it was yeah. called um, Indian Matchmaking. Yes. Oh, I, you showed me that. I remember yes. that. Yeah. And then I love Patty Stanger. I mean, like, I loved her way back in the day. I haven't watched yeah. any of her stuff, but I've always been super fascinated with matchmaking. I will say, 
the one time that I tried to make a match, it was successful and they've been happily married for like 15 years. Are you years. talking about us? No, I was talking about my uh, college roommate and my best guy friend. I matched them up and yeah. So, you know, maybe I have a second career in <laughs> matchmaking. I don't know. I think I think I have to do a lot more work on myself. But um, if you have the gift, you have the gift. You know, ooh. it's one of those things where you can't just like go take a course in matchmaking and be a matchmaker. You have to have the talent for it. And if you do... It can be really fun and rewarding. That sounds amazing, Isabella. So, a question: I, I always kind of wondered about some of these towns, like say Middle America, where there's not yeah. a lot of people, population's kind of dense. How do you even pull a matchmaker when the only town is like the people who work at Walmart and like that's it, you know? Yeah. So, in those cases, matchmakers don't take every client that comes to them. So, if they're looking at the demographics and what this person is looking for, like say he lives in. Berlin Heights, Ohio, and mm-hmm. he's only willing to date within 20 minutes of him. And he wants someone who is, you know, like super sophisticated and has a graduate degree and also is willing to date a man 20 years older than her. Most matchmakers are going to say, look, you're not, this isn't a realistic search for you. Right. Here's what we can change to make it more realistic, or I'm going to have to pass on working with you. In really small towns, you know, we run into this a lot with the LGBTQ community too. Oh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah more rural areas, we will encourage them to date in the closest big city. With COVID, it's much easier now. So, you know, we'll have like um, lesbian clients in New Hampshire in a small rural town and we'll have them date in Boston instead. And that works out fine. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, especially when it's, you know, in geographic proximity. Now, one of the things that I wanted to pick your brain around is not just related to matchmaking, but the current dating climate. One of the things, you know, Chris and I, we've been married just over a year. We dated for a couple of years, but stepping into this relationship, we both had a lot of experience with like online dating and trying yeah. to find people that we could connect with. And one of the things that I was sharing with Chris was how often I would get ghosted mm-hmm. and it would be like, everything seems great. And I know like, they're not catfishing me like we've gone out on a date. And then these guys like completely vanish off of the face of the planet. Like I wonder if there was an alien abduction on their way home. And You don't wonder, wonder that at all. <laughs> just like good riddance. No, no. So for a gal, I mean, it's different, I think, for women than it, it is for men, maybe, where I kind of would fixate on like, what is it? Why did I get ghosted? And then, you know, do soul searching. Like, did I talk too much about the X, Y, and Z? What kind of expertise do you have in that area of dating? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think ghosting is the saddest thing that's happened to our culture because it, it, you know, it initially started in dating and it spread beyond that. So it's normal now to go through three rounds of job interviews for a job and then get ghosted. Oh, wow. And I think it's totally inappropriate as an adult to treat other adults that way. I think it's really dehumanizing behavior, which goes hand in hand with kind of our, our dating culture, I think has become really dehumanizing. Yep. Swiping. Yep. You know, there's a lot of benefits of dating apps, but the swiping aspect does feel like you're just kind of like online shopping. Yes. And yes. you don't really acknowledge that the person on the other end of the chat is a human being as well with their own feelings and goals. Um, so yeah, you know, I, it is one of the biggest topics in dating. I offer something called the post ghost dating autopsy where people come to me after they've been ghosted and we kind of go over what happened and look at any potential red flags. Typically when someone is a chronic ghoster, they have issues with, um, intimacy and avoidant attachment 
So avoidant attachment, it's one of three attachment styles. I recommend everyone who's dating or in a relationship to read the book Attached, which is about the science behind how adults form attachments to each other. And the avoidant attachment style is the one that's really driven by the fear of intimacy. So as soon as they feel like they're developing feelings for someone, they will either completely flee or they'll start doing behavior to create distance. So they might like start, maybe they were, you know, super sweet and um, attentive and then all of a sudden they're not talking to you as much. They're kind of breadcrumbing you. Maybe they're like insulting you in under the guise of a joke. That's a classic distance creating mechanism. So that's kind of the major reason that I think people ghost. Mm-hmm. I think in my opinion, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I think that the avoidant attachment can almost become contagious, especially in our culture, which in which we are romanticizing being detached as kind of being like sexy and mysterious. And, you know, we have these memes like I catch flights, not feeling. So we've kind of created this allure around being like unable to form healthy attachment. We've made it like sexy. You know, I think a lot of us grew up watching sex in the city and big is the classic avoidant attachment. And he was like, you know, the hot wealthy guy. Um, so yeah, what I'm getting at is I think we've kind of romanticized these unhealthy avoidant behaviors and that has trickled out into dating culture, hookup culture, even beyond dating culture. And if you do get ghosted, you know, definitely do your due diligence, not only in yourself, but understanding some of these psychological aspects around dating. So like I said, attachment and intimacy and these kinds of things and narcissism, you know, you really need to know what the red flags for narcissism are. Oh yeah. Because narcissists do something called a narcissist discard where you're dating them and everything seems amazing and then they just ghost. Um, So yeah, I I think it's like dating isn't as simple as just going on a date anymore. You really have to be intellectually prepared to go into that minefield. Definitely. Now, as you were talking about uh, the attachment styles, Chris and I sit in the studio facing each other when we're doing interviews. And so he's listening to you talking about avoidant, like describing the avoidant attached individual. And he's pointing at himself and he's like nodding his head. So Chris, what was it that stood out in what Isabella was saying about attachment styles that you connected with? I think everything she said right there, pretty much. <laughs> but, then it, but you ended up married, so was, you never ghosted me. That's a thing. But you thought I did. You thought I did. <gasps> yes, yes, that is and I true. Di- and I did not. See, I was very busy, and I told her my I was very busy. But that's his. I think that's his way of creating distance. Now that yeah. you're saying this, is I'm busy. I'm telling myself I'm busy. I don't have time. I'm not telling to- you. The world tells me I'm busy, and I'm busy. So. <laughs> And I just tell you, so I, I try to tell Christine that I was very busy, that I, I may not be able to get back to you for 24, 48 hours. So basically saying like, I'm not ghosting yeah, I don't you. Believe that. I don't believe that. I mean, if you have time to go to the bathroom, you have time to answer a text message. Thank you. Preach, sister. Yeah. He tried that on me once <laughs> and I just was like, I'm done. I just, I didn't talk with him. I just avoided and that. And she ghosted me. She just- I didn't. I just didn't respond. But you did continue to cr- try and create distance and it didn't scare me off. I, I So Chris, why is it that you didn't end up ghosting me? What was different that made it safe enough I for you to feel? I don't ghost. I'm not a ghost. Boo. I'm not a ghost. 
I don't do that. So, but the, as far as ghosting goes, what is people's first reaction when they do find out that it was a ghost? They wouldn't say they got ghosted. What do people usually do? What's the first knee-jerk reaction? Yeah, so it comes back to attachment styles again. So the three attachment styles are avoidant, uh, as we've discussed, anxiously attached. So those are like the needy people who will freak out if they get ghosted and they'll be like checking the obituaries, like yes, (laughs) you know, like trying to find out where he is. It can really escalate for anxiously attached people because anxiously attached people, they have deep wounding around being abandoned. So that really triggers being ghosted, you know, maybe they only went on three dates, but it really triggers their abandonment issues. And depending on how extreme and you know how how extreme their abandonment issues are that's where we can get into digital stalking which is almost normalized but then it can cross into like real stalking because maybe he posts that he's at a certain bar watching the game and then you're like hmm, well let me just like show up you know i want to see oh, the game oh no um, yeah so that that's real <laughs> you know people get pretty crazy when they're um when their issues are triggered and they don't have they don't, you know, and the person is gone, so they can't work through it or figure out what really happened. And then the third attachment style is stable attachment. So, you know, maybe there's a sting to the rejection, but they're not going to freak out and try to figure out where this person is. Did they die? You know, they'll just kind of be like, okay, that sucks and move on with their life. The avoidant attachment when they get ghosted, I think some of them will feel relief, like, oh, thank God, there's no intimacy happening. Um, and then some of them will go deeper into their kind of like shell of avoidancy. You know, they become even more hermit-like. What are you pointing me for, Christine? <laughs> well, yes, because that is very much you in your past, I would say, BK. That's how we refer to it before Christine. <laughs> but I would say as you're talking, because I've not really thought of my attachment style, but when I reflect on my relationships post divorce from my first marriage and mm-hmm. and BK before Chris that in between phase was definitely anxious attachment and i think about yeah. one specific and Chris and i are always really open about talking about our past relationships but i remember i was being i'd been with this guy for 11 months um not Chris but i'd been in a relationship with him and then he started to create a lot of distance. And um, part of it was because of his culture, um, because we were coming up on one year of being together in his culture, you declare intentions after a year or Mm -hmm. you just leave the relationship. It's like you don't date beyond a year without some kind of formal commitment. I -hmm. didn't know that. So he started creating distance because he wasn't where he wanted to be in life to be able to move forward in our relationship, you know, creating that stability. But I went the extreme, like texting. I did. I, I'm going to tell you, crazy. I, I got a little bit of crazy, you know, show up for um, at the house. Oh, I'm surprising you. I brought you dinner. And the guy lived two hours away. And it was like, yeah, I can see that in myself. But as you were talking and I'm floating back, like, where did that come from? I think that it was related to the way that my first relationship ended and that like, all of a sudden, the rug being pulled out from under me and not wanting that to happen and me trying to make sure it didn't happen. And by doing that and showing up and trying to be creating that drama and that anxiety just pushes somebody further away, especially if there's somebody that already is trying to create distance so that they don't get wounded. Yeah. 
Um, and there is some evidence as well that this can be inherited from our parents. So not only the dynamics that we saw growing up. So maybe, you know, like if your mom was more anxious and your dad was more avoidant, you're pretty likely to repeat that pattern. But there's some evidence that it can also be inherited beyond just like your parents' dynamic, but also can come from intergenerational trauma because that can create the fear of attachment. Because, you know, like if your grandparents lived through a horrible famine or something and lost everyone they knew, that actually creates a fear of intimacy as well. And that there is some evidence through epigenetics that that can be inherited. I think that for me, as you're talking, I'm having this kind of aha moment. I grew up in a very uh, conservative religious background and in a very, very small town. Chris has been there with me before. It's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's bigger now, but when I grew up, it was kind of the common expectation that you graduate high school, you get married, you settle down. And so mm-hmm. there's this kind of – there was this kind of energy like starting from a young age, you're looking for your partner for life. And I just always felt like there wasn't anybody that I clicked with. And so I think it almost breeded this like scarcity mentality. Yeah. And I think that that might have even been carried into – I never dated. I, fe- I met my first husband – first week of my freshman year in college. And then we ended up getting together like a year later. I never went on a date until after that ended after 11 years. So I think that when you talk about this intergenerational trauma or even past experiences, do you think that some people try to approach dating and finding their mate from like a scarcity mentality, like I, like frantically looking for that person thinking yes. that they're never going to find them? Yeah, absolutely. You know, scarcity, scarcity mindset is huge, especially in dating, because it really pushes a lot of people to settle for someone who they know isn't actually good for them. So, you know, it it can be just a general scarcity mindset if you grew up in a very in an environment with a lot of scarcity, or it can be more more conditioned things like, okay, you grew up in a small town where there just weren't that many people around, or you are Jewish and there's not that many Jewish people around you and you only want to marry a Jewish man, or maybe you have very specific political needs um, that you want met as well. So maybe you find that one guy who's like the one Jewish Republican in New York City and you're like, oh, well, I have to marry him because he's the only one I've ever met. And that can really trap you into like settling for relationships that don't actually work for you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a whole lot of sense. And Chris, do you think that you had a problem with like thinking there was scarcity? Because you seemed like you were a lady magnet. <laughs> well, first off, first, yeah, I am a lady magnet for that matter. So most avoidant men are Ooh. lady magnets because they most women who have very anxious attachment styles had avoidant fathers. Uh-huh. So they're always going to be magnetized to a man who's also avoidant. Well, you're welcome. You're all welcome. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But I, yeah, I mean, what was the question? I'm all excited. I now. said, um, like, <laughs> did you approach dating from like a scarcity mindset, or did you always think like you were gonna find a match? Um, I think I've always found a match. I browsed and used like all of the usual uh, dating platforms that were available at the time. Uh, I think it was Matchmaker was one I used. Match.com, of course. We don't need to label all of them, but um, go ahead. Uh, Plenty of Fish was the other one. <laughs> Stinky Fish. Stinky um, Fish. <laughs> no, <laughs> no um, but I used I mean, And the funny thing is, is that 
whether you're in a big town like here, you'd start to see the same people like in your feed. Like you say you yeah. went on a date with somebody, right? Like a year ago, if you're still on the profile, and then and then you go check it out again, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember her. Oh yeah, I remember her. Oh yeah, I remember her. You know, or then you try a couple new ones, and then. But I always kind of wondered. Like I was telling Christine this from a woman's perspective on a dating app. It's got to be totally different than a guy's perspective on the same app. I mean, I I, I am only a woman, so I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that, like, apps, but I mean, it's. I think that's why women tend to lean more towards Bumble because it can feel overwhelming that all of these guys are sending you messages, right? A lot of which are not polite. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the benefit of using Bumble. I don't love Bumble for a lot of reasons. Um, but if you tend to get overwhelmed, uh, maybe you're like dating after trauma and the idea of like all of these guys messaging you is just too much. Bumble is a good option. That being said, you know, the dating apps do help with the scarcity mindset because you can be like, oh my God, there's so many people. But then the downside is it can create a paradox of choices where there's so many people you don't actually choose anyone. You know, if you have 30 guys messaging you, it's pretty hard to select one for a date. And it can just, like you said, it's it gets kind of depressing after you've been date on dating apps for like you know six months or so. You're just going to keep seeing the same people over and over, even if you switch to a different app, no right. matter where you are. And I was kind of wondering, what is a good opening line line to meet somebody on Match? <laughs> or say like you see a girl, not got, just the hey what's up, hey what's up, right? Because that, that's <laughs> like the standard go to. Like everyone says, hey what's up, hey what's up, cutie, what's up, good looking. You kind of throw that down like, and you just copy and paste it and just like run it through every <laughs> yeah. girl you see in your feed. It's all one comes yeah. back. Yeah, it's like people treat it like um, you know, one of my one of my issues with it is that people kind of treat it like a sales funnel and they're just like sending out a bunch of pitches and hoping that one gets back to them, like, you know, they're trying to keep their pipeline full. And I really don't love that mindset. But what's a good opening line? I mean, you kind of have to go back to your profile because if your profile doesn't say anything interesting, then how are you supposed to know like what line to give someone? If their profile is literally just like pictures of them and it says, I love Netflix and travel, like, I mean, it's kind so, of hard. What about a profile that's too wordy? Like, should you keep her profiles pretty simple or she'd write a whole book? No, don't. I mean, a book feels so needy. And I also hate <laughs> the um, the emoji soup, I guess is what oh, yeah. nowadays, where their profile is just like filled with so many emojis. Like that to me just screams like crazy, needy girl. Oh, perfect. Um, Listen up, tell us. <laughs> yeah, which I guess some guys are into. But um, I think like, you know, mine... I'm, I'm, I just started dating after a three-year hiatus, actually. Um, and I keep it pretty simple, just like where you live, where you're from, you know, do all the prompts so that you can fill in like your political views and your height and your religion and whatever. Um, and then I always have like some kind of question so that people know like what opening line to give me just to like make it easy. So mine says, what was the last book you read? So I would just keep in mind when making a profile, you know, keep it simple show use your pictures to show your personality so that doesn't mean post unattractive pictures of yourself and be like but it shows my personality i'm so funny like no um i mean like show you yourself traveling or with hobbies and with friends and that kind of thing maybe your pets um so people kind of have a sense of what you're about and then include something so that people can use that as a springboard to message you so it comes to photos i gotta ask okay 
What are appropriate and non-appropriate pictures as far as like kids go? Because I see a lot of people post pictures with their kids, but they black the faces out. Is that kind of a, like, I always thought it was kind of weird. When they, I kind of get why they do that, but then I kind of like think it's kind of weird, you know? I think it's weird. And I think it's also lazy. I think at this point, dating apps are a part of the culture and we need to accept that and use them in a serious way if you actually want a relationship. So, you know, just finding like five random pictures of you, like one from Christmas two years ago that your mom took and then like one family picture where you're going to crop other people out is so tacky and not helpful. Um, I w- I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend hiring a professional photographer to take your dating app pictures. There are companies that are specific for making for taking your dating app pictures. As a general rule, some things to keep in mind are, you know, you need a few full body shots. Even if your body isn't quote unquote ideal, you still need to show your body because there's going to be someone who's attracted to your body type. And if you don't, it just seems like you're insecure or hiding something. Um, keep in mind, you know, like colors, you want to use really eye-grabbing colors, um, contrasting colors in your pictures. Red is the most, red and blue are the most like eye-catching and appealing colors. Um, so those are like colors to keep in mind when picking out your outfits for your pictures. You want at least one that shows you doing some kind of hobby. So that can be like skiing, you travel, like walking your dog, whatever. Um, and then the rest, you know, you want at least one with you smiling. So people know you have teeth. <laughs> yeah, and, good idea. What about glasses? Yeah. What about sunglasses? Like if you have no, old stuff. And- no sunglasses because what? it makes it look like you're hiding. It just like sends off. <sighs> I look so cool, like- man. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I love that you said that. And because I would say that that was one of the big changes that I made. So I had been doing online dating for a while and just was not attracting the right person. And then I took a six month dating hiatus and, you know, really focused on getting clear on what I wanted and kind of grappling with my own. I'd I'd already done all the therapy and all the healing work and all of that kind of stuff, but really getting to the point of manifesting the partner that I really wanted to be with. And so I did during that time go out and do things I enjoyed and made sure to get some cute photos. And then I was intentional about it before building my profile. Like, what is it that I want to showcase? And one of the things that I loved is I had bought a sports car for myself and it was a convertible and I loved that car and I loved the beach. And so I drove it down by the beach and, you know, I had, I have a teenage son and he didn't know it was for my profile, but he took some really cute photos and that was what I featured. And that was one of the things that Chris said that he noticed I was laughing, the wind was blowing, so my hair was kind of a little bit, you know, floating around. The top was down on my car. And it does make a difference when you're doing things you love. I think that it does attract people to you versus like, let me pose under a tree outside of my office at work just because I need a photo to be able to put up there so that somebody might pay attention. Or the bathroom selfie photo. You see a lot of those too. Terrible. If there's a urinal in your dating app profile picture, you need to delete it. <laughs> Go get professional help. Oh, yeah. Do you mean in form of therapy or photography or both? Both. both. You, need, you need a lot of help there. You might just hire a matchmaker. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you are correct that when you're, you know, like posting pictures of yourself with your hobbies, it's not just about showing what your interests are. It's like when you're doing something you love, you become more magnetic. And again, you should start, like like you said, what kind of person are you looking to attract and reverse engineer your profile from there? 
if you don't know what kind of person you're looking to attract, like think of it as like going shopping for a car. If you have no idea what kind of car you want, how much money you want to spend, you're just like, you're kind of vulnerable and you show up at a used car lot, you're going to be a magnet for a salesman to come and take advantage of you. And it's the same with online dating. And you're going to end up with a car that you don't want that you spent too much money on. Right. You go in there for a sports car, you come back with a pickup truck. (laughs) Yeah. So it's the same with online dating. You have to really be clear and know what you want, know what your boundaries are, be confident. Don't show up vulnerable and like feeling like you're lost Yeah, because you'll attract the total wrong thing and you'll probably attract people that want to take advantage of you as well. Yeah, that yeah. makes so much sense and I'm just thinking about what you just mentioned about like being clear on what you're looking for or you know not knowing what you're looking for and entering into dating. I think that's a recipe for disaster because if you're yeah. not really clear on who you are or if you're carrying wounds into like all of us have baggage and things like that, but yeah. if you're not really aware of what those areas are, then that's, I think, where we get into these kinds of toxic cycles of dating where mm-hmm. you end up with somebody that has all of these characteristics that you really were trying to avoid, but because you weren't clear, you end up perpetuating it. And then, you know, we have things like divorces happening more frequently, miscommunications, people being unhappy. And I think that's like the biggest change in my life is once I got clear on what I wanted and even when Chris started showing some of that avoidant behavior, I didn't push in anxiously. I just mm-hmm. let him work it out in whatever he way he needed. And if he wanted to circle back with me, that was good. But I would say like in our relationship, I feel super stable. Like when he's gone at work, I know he's at work. I don't – it's not like the track locations and like what right. are you doing and who are you talking to? I mean, there's times I get it's, jealous. Uh, yeah, you always wonder – I get jealous a little bit. Of what? Well, because you're just so hot. You know, I just don't want other girls taking you from me. <laughs> They'll take me. I, you know, they just admire me. What do you want from me? <laughs> but I think there's a really big difference. And so um, do you get into that aspect of your work through matchmaking or are you specifically focused on the recruitment side now? Yeah, so I – I don't, I don't work with my own clients anymore. Um, I just focus on recruitment on my Instagram. I do still like to write about these topics. Um, I do. And I do still take some coaching clients. I don't combine the two anymore because it feels like it's just a lot to take on. Like I think there should be boundaries sometimes in your, in these roles, like a matchmaker is just a lot of things. And I think it actually works better when you break it up and have specific people for these roles. So we have a specific dating coach and that's all she focuses on. And we have people who only focus on planning the dates. And then we have people who only focus on styling. And I only focus on recruitment within the realm of matchmaking at this moment. Isabella, I got to ask you a question about dating here. Go real quick here. Is that um, on a very first date with somebody, what is the perfect play, way to do it. Is it a coffee and meet or is it a dinner or is it a walk in the park? Or what would be an ideal mm-hmm. just for the first meet I'm saying? Right. So something I love is that 
so two things. One, I a guy recently asked me out on a date. I live in Mexico City and it is not Okay, it's not like the most dangerous city in the world. I I actually think it's safer than New York, but it has a reputation for being an unsafe city. So he said to me, "I want to take you out on a date, but tell me what would make you feel comfortable meeting a stranger in a crazy city." So, I think as a man, it's always good to ask like, "Hey, like I know this is weird meeting a stranger from the internet. What would make you feel the safest for a first date?" I think that would make a woman feel like very disarmed. And that would make a better first date because you know she's not going in with as much tension and anxiety. There was um, a survey a year or two ago where they asked men and women um, what are their biggest fears for going on a first date, and the man said that she's fat, and the women said like the most common answer for women was either that they were going to get raped or murdered. Uh-huh. So I think men really need to be aware of like what it feels like as a woman going to meet a strange man. So for me, I recommend you know a a date during the day. If you're setting up the date yourself, like with a matchmaker, it's a little different because we've already done some screening and background checks. But let's say you met this random guy on the internet. I would say do it during the day, um, somewhere public, obviously. So I like something casual like coffee or a walk around the park. Walks are really good if you have anxiety because the movement helps to release the anxiety. Coffee is not great if you have anxiety for obvious reasons. Um, and I like to say no alcohol for a few reasons. One, when you introduce alcohol and you're meeting a stranger, there's a level of like unsafety. Drugging is an issue in some cities. Orlando, right. it's a really big issue. Um, other places, it's less of an issue. But for me, you know, it's a problem in Orlando, so it's something that I'm aware of. And I also feel like once you start drinking, the judgment portion of your brain starts shutting down, and that makes it hard for you to know is this person a good match for you? Do you want to see them again? Et cetera, et cetera. And that's when, you know, mistakes like sleeping together on the first date can happen as well. Right. It's like, uh, Hey, maybe for drinks and then Netflix mm-hmm. and chill, and then, <laughs> you know, and then like, what's your name again? I forgot. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for a relationship, I would say that is to be avoided. Yeah. You know, we went for drinks on our first date, Uh oh. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, I was very aware of what like how much I was consuming. Yeah. Um, it was in a place that was kind of near, closer to my area of town than mm-hmm. his. But I see what you're saying. And like the nighttime dates were always a little bit anxiety producing when they were somebody that you didn't really feel like you had a good knowledge or understanding of. I think I went on a lot of like midday coffee dates or yeah. like meeting up down by the harbor and stuff like that where there's a little bit of walking trail but I was very limited on the number of evening dates that I did. It just, I don't know, there's something about darkness and dating mm-hmm. that just creates a little bit of anxiety just by itself. It does. Yeah. I, well, I think also, it's like you're saying about the dating, I think I always you know, prefer to do like a lunch date or something. Now, what are your thoughts on maybe if you go on a lunch date with, say, a girl, um, as far as like with like a uh, upscale, which does it have to be super upscale mm-hmm. or should keep it very casual as far as the restaurant goes? Yeah. So my opinion is that it should be casual because first dates are like, you know, it's, it's enough anxiety and you don't want it to turn into a job lunch interview type situation. And it's a first date, you know, like you don't know if you want to see this person again. So why invest so much time and money? I think keep it as casual as possible. 
I saw this dating coach um, on TikTok. I hate TikTok, but I was on one day. <laughs> and um, she was talking about, you know, how terrible, how terrible coffee dates are and how it should always be a dinner date at a nice restaurant. And he has to pay and you were going to be, you know, observing to make sure he has good manners. And I'm like, that's such icky energy to bring into a first date. A first date should be kind of like light and casual and fun just to see if there's enough chemistry and enough to talk about to validate a second date. But like, if you go on this like dramatic, expensive dinner date or lunch date and like you're sitting there judging, Oh, is he going to pay? What are his manners? Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. It just like adds a level of tension and I think unsexiness to the situation. But I also really want to empower people to go for the virtual date. Even pre COVID I was fully in favor of the virtual date because it saves you so much time. That's great. So before I go on a date with anyone, I like to do a phone call or a FaceTime or a Zoom, like really fast, like 30 minutes, make sure they're a real person because sex trafficking organizations do use dating apps to lure their victims. Make sure that like they look relatively like their pictures, that their pictures weren't from 20 years ago. Right. And just make sure that there's like something to talk about and enough chemistry to validate like getting dressed up and putting makeup on and driving across town. Right. Yeah. With Zoom, it just came out like a couple years. Well, it's been out for a while, but it's been mainstream like since the pandemic. I mean, pretty much everybody and their grandma has heard of Zoom or used it. So it's pretty easy to like, hey, we'll do a Zoom date, you know, really quick here. And then, you know, to kind of get an idea before we meet in person. That's that's a great idea. I, w- I wish they had Zoom when I was dating. I would have wished it was a thing. <laughs> would have saved so much time. And um, someone asked me recently, because, you know, I always recommend women at least do a phone call. And she was like, well, none of these guys want to talk to me on the phone. And I was like, why are you asking them? Just call them. Like, we're still allowed to do that. Yeah. We still pick up the phone and call someone without permission. Don't you think it's kind of weird, though, if you see a number you don't really recognize on your phone? Well, if you've been texting them. Like, if you've oh, been texting right, yeah. you, you give them a call and you're like, hey, I just wanted to chat really fast. I bet that stirs anxiety, though. If you're <laughs> the person getting the call, you're not someone that's really like to takes the initiative to like make a phone call, really. You know, you're more of like a texture kind of person because <laughs> yeah. you're just like hidden. You're back. just saying that because you didn't talk on the phone with me before. You know, listening to you, Isabella, I think we did like a million wrong moves. I'm thankful that it worked out for us, but I know that. Um, especially coming out of COVID and starting a new year, a lot of people are thinking about, you know, maybe they made some resolution to try and get back out there or to be more intentional in their dating life. And um, we have listeners from all around the world to this po- listening to this podcast. And so if they're wrestling with that, like, how do I even get started? Maybe I want to look more into matchmaking. Uh, what resources do you have at their fingertips? Yeah, so... You know, like you said, you guys did a million things, quote unquote, wrong. So like, you don't need to be so paranoid with this and try to do everything right, progress over perfection. And if it's the right person, sending the quote unquote, wrong text message isn't going to scare them away. And if it's the wrong person, no amount of following rules is going to make it work. (laughs) Right. So, you know, you're like, it's not going to be perfect. It's dating. It's two people. There's room to play as well. Everyone's different. So I would say just get started and don't worry about it being perfect or looking any kind of way. It's just about getting started and figuring it out from there. Um, As far as resources, you know, you can reach out to me via email or on Instagram and 
ask if I have any recommendations for matchmakers in your area. I have a, a matchmaking database on my website. It's international. So if you're like, okay, I'm kind of interested in matchmaking, but I don't think I want to hire someone right now, you can join my database. It's completely free, completely confidential. You're unlike online dating, your data is completely protected. Um, and that I just use when I'm working with matchmakers, you know, matchmakers reach out to me all the time and are like, Hey, I have a match in Cleveland. Do you know anyone there? And I'll send them some options for my database. And that's always free for the people who join my database. It's just like a free service for them to try out matchmaking and just do some research. If you want to work with a matchmaker, talk to people in your area, do online research, you know, you know, I really have to reiterate, not every matchmaker is good or ethical. So you need to do your due diligence before you decide to work with someone. That makes a lot of sense. And we really appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. And so listeners definitely reach out to Isabella. Where can they find you online? Where can they find that website? Or you mentioned your Instagram where you give some tips. Yeah. So um, pretty active on Instagram. Like I said, I hate TikTok. So don't try to find me there. Um, but on Instagram, I'm at Izzy Living, I-S-S-Y-L-I-V-I-N-G. Um, and that's all dating and travel stuff. And then you can also check out my website where I have my database and you know my blog and that kind of thing. And that's IzzyLiving.co, C-O. Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate you being here with us today. We know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Thank you for letting me share my super secret matchmaker story. Caught Chris off guard with that one. Um, And we just wish you all of the best in your journey as a digital nomad and in changing the world by recruiting people for love. One heart at a time. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. Izzy was fantastic. I love her coming on the show today. Yes. And you know, I hadn't really seen influencers that were the quote unquote digital nomads until like she was talking about it. And then one of my friends that lived here in San Diego has decided to become a digital nomad. And no she, way. Yeah, she just moved to Mexico City. And so because she's on my Instagram Well, it is in Mexico page, City too, right? Oh, you know what? I didn't even realize that. Yeah? Yes, they're both in Mexico City. That's so crazy. There must be something about that city because I'm seeing like all these adventures that my friend is having and she's living there now and she's at like some yoga retreat this weekend and... I wonder what it is about Mexico City. Is it just because it's like super centrally located? You know what? Um, I have to see a map in front of me and see exactly where Mexico. I know it's on the middle part of the of the country, not like Baja side, like the more the middle side. Mm-hmm. But I do believe, considering what the prices are in Mexico for most normal stuff, I would assume it's cheaper to live there. Maybe like you probably rent a place for a lot cheaper there than you could here. Yeah, that's um, true. I don't know what the far as the weather goes. It's central. It could be you know pretty. I think it's pretty sunny. And pretty hot, maybe more know. humid. Maybe it's low. It's, think about it, it's less. It's, it's lower than than uh, Florida, and Florida's pretty humid. So it's gotta be like Florida, but without the beaches. You're I, good at geography. I didn't realize that it was lower than Florida, but that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, because Mexico's below us. That's why. That's right, why I figured it is, that out. <laughs> but we're not as low as Florida. Like Florida's well, maybe like. It is. Florida d- dangles. It's That's like, right. The dangly. <laughs> yeah, dangly it's Florida. Like, it's like your tonsils or whatever that little thing is in the back of your your throat. It's kind of like Florida. Right. Do you need it? Not really, but you know, it's there. 
<laughs> that's kind of a good description of Florida. Um, but yeah, I hadn't really heard of that. And I really loved some of her advice around matchmaking. And I was thinking about some of my friends that are kind of going through getting back out there into dating again. And not that I'm going to need any of her tips. I'm keeping you around no matter how much you drive me crazy. Wow. Really? <laughs> Thanks, babe. Oh, boy. <laughs> I get super excited. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I know, baby. You know, I love you so much. And I can't, get, I can't get rid of you either. So, uh. Oh, that was very nice. Thank you. <laughs> but why would you want to? I'm an absolute angel. You are. You know, I adore you. I've never you. done anything wrong in my life. Wait, what? <laughs> why 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 is your nose growing? <laughs> you poke your microphone out of that thing. That's what happened in Florida. <gasps> I never thought about that. Florida is the Pinocchio of the United States. <laughs> it sure is. They're always in the, like the the news for, you know, like what was it? Dimple Chads back in the was it the Dimple Bush Chads? But the Bush election when it was like the the, oh, the Chad the count the Chad, they call them dimpled chads, but it's like Florida is the land of fake news and... Wait a second now. <laughs> it's like Pinocchio's uh, nose. The more okay. liars get there, the bigger it grows. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> Sorry, not offending our Florida people. I'm just joking. I know joking. we are. Just Every, everybody from Florida just clicked off. Nope, just joking. Sorry, Florid- Floridians. But is called, that what they call Yeah, they are Floridians. Okay. Like Floridians or... <laughs> you know what's so funny? I don't know why I got on this, this little rant about Florida. Oh, it was because you were talking about geography. But do you know... Not to distract from the great interview we just had with Isabella, but do you know what story I heard? What and Isabel, show- Isabel is from uh, Florida, by the way. Yes. But do you know what I have really gotten into in the evenings watching again? What's that? Golden Girls. <laughs> Golden Girls? Because they were in Florida. Betty, with Betty White? Yes. And uh, a bunch of other people. Yes. You know, it's funny. I just heard somewhere, I don't know if it's even true or not, but that the remake of Sex and the City... They're, that the girls in that the show, li- women. I'm sorry, the whip. We'll say the ladies on that show are the same age as the ladies that played the girls in Golden Girls you at know, the time. That's so funny because I was watching Golden Girls and I was watching these ladies and I was like, man, how old are they supposed to be? And then uh, one of the gals was still a substitute teacher. Dorothy was still a substitute teacher, and I was like. She looks like she's supposed to be like 70 in the show, but there's no way because her mom was like way older. It's like the way that people perceived like 50, 60 and 70s, like in the age back in the 1980s was just like so different than now. Like they say like 50 is the new 40 and 60 is the new 50 or whatever. And I'm saying my 80 is the new uh, 40. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right, champ. But I was watching the show and what I was going to say is, you know, watching it when I was young, it, we would just watch it and it was funny or whatever. You know, I'd watch it with my parents or my grandparents, actually. Yeah. And now watching it and like people say all the time, like in the media, oh, you know, these shows are so dirty. They talk about, um, you know, intimacy too much and, you know, inappropriate things. I was watching Golden Girls. It was like innuendo nonstop, like really? innuendos innuendos the and grandmas like, are throwing that kind of stuff yes because blanche is like this this guy crazy and she was talking about like you know sleeping with this guy and that guy and really? like one night stands Poor blanche. And, one no, night stands no oh no the she only was grandma like, the only grandma i remember she wasn't a grandma she said she did not she says i do not have grandchildren oh okay uh-huh. well mm-hmm. okay well the only grandma i remember that was ever like crazy like that was the chick from uh Who's the boss? Why do you keep saying chick? Okay, the grandma from Who's the Boss? Yes. What was her name? 
Um, well, Angela Mar- was the daughter, no. so uh, with an M. I can't remember. But that, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, she was always like eyeing boys and eyeing It's the Tony. same thing with Blanche, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing, but it was like I was watching it with the eyes of like living in 2022 and like floating back to that show and being like, oh my word, I had no idea this show was so filthy. And they were talking the about it nonstop. Well, and it was like so much innuendo that I was like, you know what? You know, people like to say that our media is so dirty now. But I was like, these ladies are talking about all kinds of stuff. And they were just, they did it differently. It was very interesting to I me. I bet they did do it differently back then. I'm saying. <laughs> and speaking of doing it differently, this has been a little bit of a different show for us. But we loved our fantastic interview Chris, the whole podcasting community and the world is happy that you have come through on the other side of COVID and they are excited that we're going to be back with them next week. That's what you sure are. And before I let you go, baby, we have to tell everybody the website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. I almost gave like a totally different website because I was like slightly distracted. I don't know why I was going to say www.snoopythedog.com Well, because I'm a looking fan- at Snoopy. <laughs> that is a fantastic website too, but if you want to go to a better website, you go to ours, which is chrisandchristineshow.com and uh, you can find all kinds of wonderful stuff on that website all about us and even podcastic audio. And I don't know if I have a link over to Christine Smith Designs over there yet. Should, nope. I, put, should I put one on there or no? Sure. So if you're getting married or know somebody that is, you can hit me up. I am booked for 2022, but I'm happy to take your booking for 2023. And if she gets booked there, don't worry. 2024 is right around the corner. <laughs> you can just keep delaying and I'll, I'll, I'll get to you eventually. <laughs> that's right. By the time you'll probably be uh, on the next guy. I don't even know. <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for bearing with us. Well, we've been a little bit punchy today. We'll be back with you next, next week. week.